Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Nothing personal word of the day. We have a Samson sit down with Dr. J. Julius Irving. The way I just said Irving is how Julius Irving was introduced at every home game when Dave Zinkoff was the public address announcer in Philadelphia. Julius, welcome to Nothing Personal. David, good to be with you. It is so good to see you. Uh, For people who are watching this on YouTube, you're looking at Dr. J. To me, not just one of the top 50 basketball players of all time, but He was the person who knew how to play the game in a way that had never been played before. And I want to talk all about that, but we have to start with what you're doing now because it fascinates me given your past in basketball. You are coaching the tri-state team in the big three and you are about to go to the playoffs. Is that right? That is correct. I've been a tri-state's coach for uh, four seasons uh, it's, it's a matter of taking 10 weeks out of your year and leaving the other 42 to do whatever the hell you want to do <laughs> and, uh, and staying connected with the game, you know, ice cube and Clyde Drexler personally gave me the call, uh, several years ago and said, look, we need you. And, and I had some free time on my hands. And I, you know, I was still involved with the 76ers, uh, just in terms of being a, a Sixer alumni and being involved contract-wise, involved with season ticket holders and and sponsors, not day-to-day. So I said, you know, this big three thing, you know, could be interesting. Um, And now it's become an Olympic sport. Uh, It's recognized worldwide. You know, we're on CBS, so uh, it thumbs up all around, it looks like. So let's talk about this. First of all, the championship trophy is named after you. Is that right? I heard that. That is that is correct. And that's, was that part of your contract? That's how I'll go. No, the first few years, it wasn't named after me. I was asked in year two, uh, could they name the trophy after me? And I said, well, you know, next year seems like, you know, it'd be a, a good PR move. And I'm probably the, the biggest name in there, although we do have other Hall of Famers and George Gervin and Rick Barry and Lisa Leslie and, and uh, Nancy Lieberman, Gary Payton. Uh, Clyde Drexler, as you know, aforementioned. Uh, so, so we got we got some big names, big basketball names in there. But you know, Cube and Jeff uh, asked if that was doable, and uh, I know the uh, the NBA trophy is named after uh, one of my heroes, uh, Bill Russell. So, uh, so I'm not gonna get my name on that trophy. <laughs> <laughs> So this well, one over here is, well, by the way, you could have after after you you won the 83 championship with the Sixers yeah. and Bill Russell, obviously, I think he has 11, doesn't he, Julius? He won a, 
he was the champion 11 times in 13 seasons. Yeah, I'm still looking for the first Knicks championship since 1973 when I was only five years old. How do yeah. you draft players into the big three? Is it a draft or do you go recruit and put your team together? Uh, we do no recruiting. Uh, there's a combine and it's probably anywhere from 100 to 150 players who are trying to get into that combine to join the league each year. The two captains remain on your roster. So out of that uh, pool of, you know, whatever, uh, five times 12 is 60 players who, who are in the league, uh, two on each team stay. So 24 players are set with their rosters. And, and now you have to go out and uh, find the other 36. So and when you're putting together your team, are you looking? Is that are you looking for a big man and someone who can handle the ball? Are you doing things a little differently that have led to your success? Well, you know, it depends on what you have left. So we have Jason Richardson and we have uh, Nate Robinson as my uh, captains. So, so I do need size, and you know, I went out and, and we got we got collectively with the captains uh, and my assistant Steve Mix and my other assistant Jules Serving. You know, we went and got uh, Larry Sanders as a center, and we got uh, Earl Clark as a forward, and then you know we've split time between uh, Tony Roden and uh, Justin Dentman, and right now Dentman is is the fifth guy. Um, and, and Roden is first up if anything happens to anybody. How frustrated do you get coaching? Because there's something I talk about on the show, which is Hall of Fame players don't always make good coaches because they have a hard time understanding why other players don't see the court the way they do and can't do the things the way they did. And obviously, given who you are, how frustrated do you get? Uh, I only get frustrated when somebody's not listening and, you know, we have one or two guys on our team who like to fight more so than play. <laughs> Sometimes, and they like to fight the referees. So uh, I'm constantly sending Steve Mix over to, all right, you go get him and, and calm him down and have him stop yelling at the referees, the fans or, or whatever, and, and uh, concentrate on the game. Because I, I think our team is really uh, peaked right now uh, from, from day one. Uh, in which we were, you know, better than average. And, and, and now we're the best team in the league. Uh, we're, we're the hot team going into the playoffs. So I'd be very disappointed if we didn't win that trophy with my name on it. I can't wait for you to give the trophy to yourself. You mentioned Steve <laughs> Mix. Is that your former Sixers teammate who may have worn number 50, big power forward? Uh, uh, that's my boy right there. You know, we roomed together when I was, when I was with the Sixers. So... You know, we became uh, lifelong friends and, uh, you know, we celebrate one another's birthdays and the births and the, and the grandkids and and just about everything. So when I when I took this position, he was the first guy I called. And he responded and uh, he's been with me some, since day one. We just added my son, who's a, a Cal Berkeley graduate and played basketball there for two and a half seasons, I believe, maybe three. And uh, so he's the second assistant coach and, and we just have a good time over there. You know, we just, the game, games go so fast. I mean, we're playing 25 points is half time and 50 points is game time. So, so you're in and out in, in less than an hour. And, 
you know, when the team's ready to go, uh, we're really good. And when we're not, you know, we dropped a couple of games. But, you know, the two top teams in the league are both six and two in eight games. And, and we're one of those. And now it's playoff time. Well, you have a, yeah, away. I was just going to say, you get to go to the Atlantis and you have a broadcast deal. The big three, you can watch it on CBS. You can watch it on Paramount. There's all sorts of different ways to watch Julius Irving win his own trophy. You yeah. mentioned Steve Mix. I want to talk about the 83 team for one second. If yeah. you are a basketball fan, you know about the 1983 Philadelphia 76ers who have been yeah. trusting the process ever since. Who on that team would you not have roomed with? Well, Steven and uh, Bobby Jones were roommates at one time. And when Steve became my roommate, he said, you know, Bobby's the nicest guy, except he's tremendous on defense and he's a Hall of Famer, but he's a terrible roommate. You know, he go to bed at eight o'clock, can't keep the TV on. And the room temperature, you know, has to be the temperature that he likes. And whatever. So I said, yeah, that could be a problem, especially the eight o'clock rule. <laughs> when you're putting teams together, Julius. What, <laughs> first of all, people don't even realize that back in those days, professional athletes were not they were flying commercially. Yeah. They were living with teammates in hotel rooms, a two double bed room on the road and walking through airports and train stations. That's how it was back in the day. Oh, that was the good old days, you know. I mean, it it, it kept your humility intact, and uh, uh, I think you know you you felt honored uh, to be a professional athlete and not privileged, and you know because there were just some things that you just had to suck it up and and go do, and and we depended a lot on our trainers and our equipment managers and what have you to to move you know the franchise to city to city. And, you know, you, you always had to catch the uh, first flight out the next morning or whatever. So we didn't have a lot of the conveniences they have today, but, but that's OK. I think it's made some of the players a little softer, you know, than in the 70s, 80s or the 60s and 50s players. Um, but, you know, there's fan appreciation for the softness and the finesse. And it is what it is. Do you have issues when you're looking at the current day Sixers? And obviously they they have gone through a process. They have not won another title. But I'm thinking back to your 83 team and the way it was made up, you know, with Maurice Cheeks and you and Bobby Jones and uh, World Free and back in those days. Tony and and uh, Moses Malone. Of course, you can't can't forget Big Mo. No, not in that front court. So when yeah. you look at at today's NBA, what uh -huh. frustrates you the most about the game today and today's players? Well, I think the Sixers, uh, you know, have been a source of frustration uh, in playing Atlanta this year. I think they were the favorite team in Atlanta, just like su surprised, <laughs> surprised us. Um, and, in, in, you know, a couple of years ago, seventh game against uh, uh, Toronto and Kawhi hits the shot. Yeah, there's, there's a little degree of luck that you got to have to get to the finals. And then, you know, there's, there's some luck even involved in the finals uh, where usually the best team team wins, not the lucky team. But getting there and going through that process to get there with all those uh, playoff rounds and, then you know, the, the number of games that you have to win, 4, 8, 12, I guess, uh, before you get to the fourth uh, round, which is the finals, and uh, to beat a team four times is no 
no small feat. You got to have focus. You have to have concentration. You have to have things going your way. And, you know, forget about the referees. They don't decide the outcome of the game. The players decide uh, the outcome of the game. So it's been a long drought in Philadelphia. I think our fans are eagerly waiting uh, for the team to get over the top. Uh, there's a lot of controversy uh, this year with the Ben Simmons situation or whatever, but it seems like the team is staying pat with their big three being uh, Joel and Ben and, and Terrell, uh, uh, Tobias, uh, Harris. Um, and if they can, you know, add pieces and get another year in with Doc Rivers, because, you know, it was last year was his first year on the job with, with the Sixers. You know, sometimes you need time with people to really know how to bring out the best in them. And, uh, and I see it, I see it with my team in, in the big three, you know, just from game one to game eight or whatever, you know, the guys in the locker room and they like each other, they like playing together. And, 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 you know, I feel like, you know, I might be a factor in that, but I'm not the, the main factor. The main factor is, you know, the captains and the, and the crew uh, saying, this is something we want to do. And this is something that we're doing and we, and we want to uh, make a sacrifice to, uh, you know, be all for one and one for all. Who, who do you coach like? For all the coaches you've had over your career, you probably took a little bit from everyone. But when you're on the sidelines and you're noticing yourself coaching, do you think of some of your previous coaches? I, I do. I do. I had Al Bianchi as, as my first coach. And, uh, and Al had me and Charlie Scott in the first season. The second season, he had me and George Gervin. And whatever. And he was, you know, I mean, George and I, you know, and Charlie as well, we had scored 30 points, 40 points, 50 points, no egos involved. And, you know, I had a 63 point game, you know, in, in the ABA and the coach was like right there. I'm not taking you out of the game. You know, you're a hot player. So, you know, you, you got to get us these points. Uh, my my career in the NBA was a little bit different uh, with Gene Shue and, and Billy Cunningham and, and Matt Gukas or whatever. It was more. You know, I mean, the Brown Ball League had its had its style and, and the ABA had its style. And the ABA was wide open, footloose and fancy free. And and, you know, so so my my stats, which was 12,000 points in the ABA in five years and then 18,000 points in 11 years in the NBA, it came to 30,000. But, you know, the, the, the leagues were very different uh, for me and the coaches were very different. So I think my, my coaching style is more like Bianchi's and Lockery's. Um, you know, those were the first two coaches uh, that I had. And it's probably where, you know, I got to establish myself as one of the world's best players, and multiple time MVP, scoring titles and, and all that stuff. And, you know, it was, it was just a freedom there that I don't think I had in the NBA. And, uh, and, and I saw that it was, it was not the league. Uh, it was probably how, how we were managed. And, um, and that is what it is. Did you realize for people listening or watching, uh, Julius Irving was really the superstar in the ABA, which was a almost a competitor league that then merged into the NBA and Julius became the face of the merger. If I could call you that right to your face, that you were the most famous and best player who got merged into the NBA. Were you aware during those times, the way you were being used as a player to make the merger more palatable? 
yes, I, I you know I, I never separated myself from you know George Gervin and David Thompson, Dan Issel, and, and George McGinnis, and Artis Gilmore, and the other uh, great ABA players who are also in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Bobby Jones was there too. So, so the ultimate goal is, you know, win a championship, win multiple championships if you can. Uh, if you're the leading scorer and you're the dominant player, you probably win some scoring titles. Um, score big scorers aren't always the, the the team that wins the championship doesn't always have the leading score. You know, many times and probably most times they don't. Uh, so it is a team game. It's a it's a team sport. And, um, you know, my uh, approach to it was always team first and my individuals uh, stuff uh, second to that. And, and that's what I believe. And I think that's what I believe, too. It takes to win. You have to have somebody who is willing to make a sacrifice. And, and maybe they're better than all the other players on the team, but they got to give up something in order to bring the other guys up and, uh, and bring the team up. And that was the case with, you know, Bill Russell, the aforementioned Bill Russell with the 11 championships in 13 years. You know, I don't think in any of those years he was the leading scorer on their team, but he was the dominant force and uh, showed people how to play basketball uh, the right way, which is why he became one of my heroes and one of my idols. And um, I tried to be a hero and an idol to, to many who came behind me and and that has happened, and, and I, I get a lot of feedback. I get a tremendous amount of, of feedback at, at this age when I can no longer run and jump the way that I used to. But, you know, I can, I can stroll in a room, and, uh, you know, there's going to be uh, a reaction to my presence there. That makes me feel good. So I need to act like a fan for one second, even though I'm now the host of a podcast and work at CBS, because... I have arguments with people very often about previous eras and current eras and who's yeah. the greatest, who's not the greatest. And I just tell people to go on YouTube and watch the video of your layup. And I'm going to say the name wrong because this is for memory. I want to say it was Mark Landisberg. Do I have that name potentially right? You, you botched that one. Okay. What, what, Mark, what? Mark Landsberg. Landsberger. Okay. <laughs> I did botch that one, Julius. And then so, there was Abdul Jabbar under the basket. <laughs> so Julius Irving, if you're not watching, please do, has some of the biggest hands. And big hands matter in basketball because you can hold the ball. Look at those hands if you're on YouTube. And it's like in baseball, there's a little pitcher, he's 5'10", named Pedro Martinez. I don't know if you know who that is, Julius. He's got very, very big hands and long fingers and enables him to manipulate the ball. And you would hold the ball long before James Worthy did this. You would hold the ball like a basically a tennis ball. And the way you were able to manipulate it made you, in my opinion, one of the great greatest, the greatest, the ability to get to the hole. And that's what basketball used to be about, the way you were able to create. And I just want to know when you made that play with Landisberger, were you, do you have it in your head what you're doing or is it all instinct? Uh, it's in instinct. And most of the times when you make a move like that, you've probably done it before, just not on the same stage. And, and maybe there's, there's a tweak here. There's a twist there. It's just like when, you know, when Michael Jordan uh, copied my dunk from the foul line, 
you know, he did something with his legs that I didn't do because my legs were kind of straight and floating and he kind of ex ex expanded his legs and it, it just gave it another dimension, you know, which, which was great. And you always want to see, you know, somebody chasing the bar if it's high and then passing the bar if it's really high and, and, and you know, creating a new, a new move. So that particular move, which was, you know, I just, I just kind of called it a reverse layup. I've done many reverse layups, but, you know, the hang time leaving from the left side, the right side of the lane and floating under the basket, holding, extending my arm and holding it, holding the ball out there. Like I was going to pass it to the uh, opposite corner and freezing their center, Kareem, he came over with his hands up and he froze. And I just kind of, instinctively brought the ball inside of his hands and, and laid it up and made, made a reverse layup. And then by then I was coming down to the ground and I fell because <laughs> I, you know, I'd exhausted my leap at that time and just got up and ran down the court. Like it was just another little stroll in the park. <laughs> so Julius, I saw that live. Ever. You saw I, it live. I saw it. I saw it when it happened. And, uh, it's just thank you for letting me ask that. But I want to get back to the big three because you're now a coach. Remember, mm -hmm. the trophy's named after you. You're very mm -hmm. loyal to your to Nate Robinson, former Nick, by the way, who's basically around my size and unbelievable player. If you had to put together from your ABA years, your NBA years and your big three years, with all respect to your current guys, who are your big three on a big three team to win a title? Who do you want? Uh. Give me Moses Malone, right? And I'm on the team. Am I on want, the team? Do you want to be on the team? Yeah, I want to be on the team. Because I grew up playing one-on-one, -on -one, two-on-two, three-on-three. So, so I know it very well because uh, every basketball player, who good or average or what have you, played one-on-one, two-on-two, three-on-three basketball because it wasn't always 10 guys around to play and you didn't always have access to a full court. So most of the time you played half court. Uh, so I would I would take Big Mo. Now I know I have my rim protector and I have my, my inside presence. Um, my three-point guy, probably Andrew Tony. You know, Andrew, first day of camp, you know, he stopped out there and shot a four-pointer <laughs> and Billy Cunningham started yelling at him. <laughs> and, uh, and he said, coach, I can shoot that shot. And, you know, this is, this is something that, you know, Andrew, Andrew should be a hall of famer, even with a shortened career, you know, he's kind of like Gail Sayers, you know, six years and still what he did in the six years was phenomenal and injuries uh, kept him from having a 10 or 15 year career or whatever, but Andrew, he would be the, he would be the, the deadliest force from the three point line and the four point shot or whatever. Cause he has no conscience. He, he missed six in a row and it still take the next one. <laughs> and uh, so he, so he would be on my team. I take big Mo. I take uh, Andrew. I probably would go with cheeks. Um, you know, and that, that's a, that's a battle between Cheeks, Brian Taylor, and, and um, John Williamson. Uh, John would be killing guys in the big three, too. <laughs> but I need another big man. So uh, who am I going with? God, I had 
at Daryl Dawkins, at Caldwell Jones, Jimmy Akins, uh, after Big Mo. Uh, you got to help me with this. Well, listen, if you're who putting you a team. Who do you think should be my other man? Maybe Charles Barkley? Do you think? <laughs> so it depends which Charles Barkley. If you're getting the TNT Charles Barkley, he's not going to help you. If you're getting the Barkley who, when he's playing with you, is listening to you, then you take him. When I went to the finals, I mean, let's say if I get Charles Barkley, I don't need John Williamson anymore. <laughs> and I got the option of taking George Gervin too. So to leave him off that team, you know, probably because of Tony and Cheeks, Barkley, Moses Malone, Julius Irving. Five guys, big three team, we'll take on anybody. Do you ever think to yourself what your 83 team could do against the current teams, like even the Bulls teams with Jordan or the Warriors teams or the LeBron-led teams? Because yeah. people have a hard time comparing, but I don't. And I yeah. think that the way you played was far more disciplined and you'd be able to beat those teams four to seven times. Yeah, it, it's come up. Uh, multiple times. I think I was very pleased to hear uh, UB Brown <clears throat> say that that 83 team was the best team that, that he had ever seen both ways, offensively and defensively. And, you know, I mean, UB Brown is a basketball expert. I mean, you know, if, if, if there's a guy with an opinion that should be heard and listened to, it's UB Brown. So, uh, so that made me feel good. You know, I know that lots of times, you know, I could see these lists and <laughs> pick the top 10 NBA teams of all time. And Buzz Dixon's team is not on there. You know, obviously our Nets teams in 74 and 76 with the ABA probably didn't qualify, but I'm looking around and I'm saying, nah, that's not right. And will, will they ever get it right? I guess it depends on who they are, you know? So, but I love, I love you, uh, David, for what you had to say about that team and, that, that the team could handle its business in any era. And it's it's perfectly in sync with, with how I think about it. So Red Halsman and I spoke about your team very often. And I wanted to just tell you something that Red used to say about your team. Red Halsman, former coach of the Knicks, two-time world mm -hmm. champion with mm -hmm. the Knicks. And we would talk about the team and what he would note to me because I was I studied the game because I learned that I wouldn't be able to play it when I stopped growing. And he said, pay attention to the purposeful movement of all five guys on the court every second of the game, mm -hmm. because there were, there, you weren't standing around watching your teammates. You mm -hmm. all were doing something every moment. And red always talked about that. And did that come from your coach? Did that come from the basketball IQ that you all had? Tell me where that comes from. Well I think Billy Cunningham was great in that re respect. And we had Billy Cunningham and Chuck Daly. So now we have two Hall of Fame coaches. And, uh, and, and, and Chuck was the X and O guy. And Billy was the big time motivational factor. And, this, you know, you got to play hard. You got to always give 110% and don't stand around, you know. So, so the, the combination of, of those two guys uh, you know, made it, uh, what it was. And, uh, you know, we, you know, we, even in transition, um, you know, we, we ran to, uh, we ran a fast break that was, that was different than showtime or whatever, because it was structured and it was a structured fast break, which fed into our offensive set. If the fast break didn't produce 
a layup or uh, a wide open shot, then we ran right into our, our offensive sets, which, um, you know, were decided by the matchups and, and whoever had the weaker matchup, that's who we would go to. And we'd automatically uh, do that and we'd milk it until they stopped it. I just think about today's game and, and, and say to myself that people don't watch the old NBA enough to understand the discipline, to understand the fundamentals that some guys don't have. But I want to I want to switch gears before you have to leave us and, and get to your practice uh, in, before you go to the Bahamas. Tell me about Dr. J, because I grew up just calling you the doctor. Mm-hmm. And I, I do you have an MD? Um, I have uh, honorary doctorate's degrees. Uh, mm-hmm. from Temple University, University of Massachusetts, and Springfield College. And uh, they're honorary. I have a, uh, a bachelor's degree from the University of Massachusetts. And uh, and I was called the doctor in long before college. This was in middle school. My buddy was, was the professor, and I was the doctor. His name is Leon Saunders. And, and uh, we gave each other nicknames as my nickname grew and spread uh, with my, you know, rise in popularity as a, as a basketball player. I got to the ABA and suddenly I became Dr. J because the, the team physician was Dr. M. And then another guy in the organization was Dr. Something else or whatever. So we, we just couldn't call out the name Doc and not have two or three heads turn, <laughs> wondering who you're talking to, which Doc. So, so uh, Chopper Travellini said, you got to be Dr. J. He was our trainer. And uh, then we started getting promoted. Charlie the Great Scott and, and Julius Dr. J. Irving. And then the next year was George Iceman Gervin. And, you know, the ABA was, was fun. You know, we always had nicknames and sayings and expressions. And like I said before, it was one for all and it was all for one. So if I was going to ever reflect back on my best basketball days, which I enjoyed the most, it would be the ABA days in terms of the big accomplishment being MVP in the NBA in 1981 and being a champion in 1983. That, that is amazing that you look back that way with the ABA because I think people, when they look back and watch some of those games, the talent, you mentioned George Iceman Gervin, you said Dan Issel, Bobby Thompson, that's a name that doesn't... David you Thompson. Know, David Thompson, excuse me, does, I was thinking Bobby Jones. David yeah. Thompson with the Nuggets. Wasn't he on the Nuggets with Doug Moe and they would score about 170 points a game when <laughs> Moe was coaching them? They were a high-scoring team, for sure. And we played that team in the last ABA championship. And we had played them... I'd say nine times during the season for whatever reason. And they were Western Conference team and they had beaten a seven out of nine. And then we played them for the championship. We were scared to death. (laughs) And then I went into Denver and the first two games, you know, I I mean, I got the green light uh, from Kevin Lockery and I had rested very well the last, pretty much the last two weeks of the season playing just the first quarter and not playing the rest of the game. And I opened those two games with uh, 48 points in the first game and 45 in the second game. And we split. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, the high score that no, is no always on the winning team. And we got the split. And, you know, it ended up being a uh, six-game series winning, winning in Nassau Coliseum against them. And, 
you know, that was that was a crowning victory, and, and it was the, the last hurrah of the NBA. Well, you are a legend, Julius. Thank you. I just would like to get everyone to watch the big three. The playoffs are starting Saturday. They're starting tomorrow, and it's in the Atlantis in the Bahamas, and Julius Irving coaches the Tri-City team, and they are favored. This is the word I'm getting from CBS. Favored to win it so Dr. J can get given his own trophy to himself. (laughs) Julius Irving, thank you for being on Nothing Personal, and we wish you a ton of luck down in the Bahamas. Thank you, David. You take care. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.